Greetings and welcome to Bird on a Wire, a brand new podcast series presented by the Recombobulation Area and hosted by Lou Ann Bird, featuring conversations on hope, civility, and action. Thank you for joining us. My name is Dan Schaefer, and I am the founder of the Recombobulation Area and the producer of this podcast series. I was also the first guest on the podcast, so if you missed episode one, head over to the Recombobulation Area on Substack, where we publish each episode. And don't forget to subscribe to get every episode delivered right to your email inbox. The lead sponsor for the Bird on a Wire podcast series is Civic Media, the fastest growing hometown radio network in Wisconsin, broadcasting local news, talk, sports, music, and sensible commentary throughout the state. Visit civicmedia.us to find your local station and tune in to your community. Civic Media, hometown radio refreshed. Supporting sponsors for this podcast series include Marianne Lubar and Marlene Ott. For episode two of Bird on a Wire, Luann is joined by State Representative Evan Goike of Milwaukee. Goike was among those who helped out with Luann's campaign for State Assembly last year, so they discussed her decision to run, last year's campaign, and what's still to come. So without further ado, here's Luann Bird. Uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, Lou Ann Bird here. I'm happy to introduce my good friend now, Representative Evan Goike, who uh, was instrumental in getting me to run for public office. Um, I was miserable, like many of you are, with the state of politics today. And I was, you know, doing my typical thing, uh, taking care of grandkids. Life was good. My husband's paralyzed. I take care of him. Um, and, you know, in the midst of just being involved in things in my community. And then I get a call from uh, Greta Neubauer, who is the chair or the uh, assembly minority leader. And uh, they redrew the boundary lines and they moved my house into an area in Greendale, Greenfield and um, a part of Milwaukee and all of Hales Corners. And she said that this district now is um, purple, that Joe Biden actually won it when you spin the numbers in 2020. So uh, would I be willing to run? The Democratic Party was looking for a candidate and they would put quite a bit of support into this race. Then she told me two other things that really it was kind of a no-brainer for me. She said, um, we need to win these seats because the Republicans were going after what a supermajority, in which case, when the governor won, would win re-election, they would have enough votes in the Assembly and the Senate, enough seats to override any veto power that he had. So I felt a weight on my shoulders, and I could not say no, but I couldn't do that without, it's a family deal. So I said, okay, why don't you, could you come and talk to my husband? So then Phil and I, uh, met at the kitchen table with Evan and with uh, Greta, and we talked about what was um, what the campaign was about, what the Democratic Party needed, and why this was so important. So I'll let you like sort of take it away there, Evan. Yeah, I just want to correct the record, Luann. You say this all the time that we recruited you, but you recruited yourself. You know, there was no you. You were in this, I think, organically and plugged in. And I've met lots of candidates. I've worked on lots of campaigns. 
And, um, you know, you really were ready in a way that very, very few people that run for office are ready. And it's, it, you know, a lot of people start thinking they need to get to know the powerful moneyed people or their member of Congress or something. You had an army of uh, grassroots ready and lined up to go that are just in your life, that you are uh, an organizer, um, you know, by nature without the title because of who you are. And so I, I think you recruited yourself. We just helped push you into the, I mean, you know, you, you, you knew what you were doing um, from day one. I, I was really impressed when we met. Um, I can remember it. It was a Sunday morning. Um, I think it was already May, May of 2022. And so the end of May. And that's important because there are deadlines uh, that candidates must fulfill. And so June 1st uh, was fast approaching. And that was a deadline for candidates to submit enough valid nomination signatures to get on the ballot. And candidates, if they don't meet that requirement are dead in the water in June and, you know, game over. And so I, I think we, you know, we kind of talked about um, the roller coaster of like, if you say yes, oh my God, the next couple weeks are going to be bananas because you got to get on the ballot and all these things have to happen fast. And we talked a little bit about, you know, how the rest of the campaign would play out, but we were really focused because of the timing on those initial tasks um, I remember, uh, I kept looking over at Phil. I kept looking over at your husband to kind of read him and see his face and say, well, is he, is he buying what we're selling or is he, and he, you know, he kept looking at you. He wasn't making a lot of eye contact with me and I could just see him look at you, Luad, and the look that the, the interpretation that I have of that look was, he was with you 110%. He could see the passion in your face, which meant that, you know, he's your person. So he was going to be with you. And um, so we left and Greta and I talked about the meeting at the end of your driveway. And we collaborated and compared notes. And we agreed, you know, we were going to part ways uh, for the day. And we were really hopeful. And then I don't know how long it took. You called back two, three, four hours later, same day, said, I'm in, let's do it, let's go. And one of the coolest memories that I have, Luann, is I think you took the plunge and agreed to be a candidate on a Sunday afternoon. And I got a call on maybe Monday or Tuesday afternoon that you already had people out there circulating nomination signatures and doing doors. And you had, you had talked to some of your neighbors and it was like, when you were in, you were all in. And, uh, I just, it was really compelling and inspiring to, to watch you go through that process and to be a part of it. I gave Phil 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I gave him 10 minutes. I'm like, Phil, you better think about this. Cause you know, he is in a wheelchair. He is complicated and there would be uh, sacrifices he would have to make. Um, we both knew that cause I had run before. So I gave him 10 minutes and I walked in and I, in his room and I said, well, honey, what do you think? And he goes, you really want to do this, don't you? I said, yes. And that was, but I told him this. I said, yes, I do. But you will always be my priority. You are the priority. If you need me, if something comes up, the campaign, 
stops and you know if he could because he could end up complicated and in the hospital very easily and then he would be the priority so he knew that from the very start so that was that made it easy then and then I had four days to get all my signatures in. (laughs) (laughs) I think throughout the entire campaign your husband Phil was really a north star that guided the why you did it you know you you brought him with you everywhere you went and told his story your story shared story it was, it, 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 I think it was a very effective, one of the reasons why you were very effective and, and compelling as a candidate. So that was it, cool to watch you guys do that. We did. And he was, he was pretty amazing because I would come back from doing doors and tell him the stories. And he loved that. He actually loved the people coming in and out of the house and the people he met, including you. He talked about you and Greta, how great you guys were. So it lifted him up. And both of us, uh, we just knew that this was the right thing to do at this time. But some of my favorite stories about Phil are, I'll just tell you one quick one is, you know, as the can, I always made him supper. He's in a lot of pain. That's his thing. He's, you know, he goes to bed early. I make him supper. Um, And toward the end of the campaign, or maybe after a couple of weeks, not toward the end, (laughs) I was realizing it was getting harder to knock off knocking on doors and come home and make him supper, which was not really a problem for him. Finally, one day I said, okay, now what do you want for supper? He goes, you know, go out and knock on doors. I'm perfectly happy with a can of soup. (laughs) That's how it went. He'd say, I got a sandwich here, or I made a sandwich and I got the other half right here. So he, he was so supportive in those ways. It was amazing. Um, I think it's, it's really interesting um, having, you know, also run and, and holding office how important family is in the process. And mm-hmm. I think people can logically understand that you need a supportive network around you, but I can't, I, it, there's a, there's a, a burden as a candidate. And when the people around you in your life do even the little things, right. Even a little thing that's like, I'll make my own dinner and go free yourself to go do what you need to do. It's a really, really important support and partnership, even those it tiny is. little things. It is. And if he needed bananas and I was tired and dead tired, or whatever, I would go get those bananas because he doesn't yeah. ask for much. But when he needs it, I made sure that I took care of him first. So I felt like I was a caregiver for him all the way through. And then I picked up all these voters that became like my people <laughs> as yeah. I went went on the doors and, and did share those stories about what we've done in the past. You're right. I feel like my whole life kind of led up to this moment where I um, I was tired of what was going on. And to hear you say you you kind of knew what, wait, you knew that I was in and that I knew why I was in and that I had a network. So the why I was in, I knew I, I needed to do this because when Phil was paralyzed and I was so miserable and then it became, okay, let's get involved and fix it. So it was the same feeling I had. Politics is miserable. Yes, I've been involved. Yes, I'm a voter. Yes, I've knocked on doors. But here's a chance for me to jump in and try to fix it. Now, let's define what fix it means, because um, most people I talk to agree the political system is broken, divided, and it's not working for us. That's how they feel. That's how I felt. But we could fix it. And the one thing we could do is start to be civil. Choose civility became my campaign thing. And I, I knew that from the very start that if we were going to fix this broken political system, we had to learn how to get along. We had to learn how to talk. And that also meant that even as a Democrat, 
I wasn't going to jump in there and just do what Democrats always do because I just felt that was a losing ticket. It's not working. What we're doing isn't working. I was conscious of that, but not clear what that meant in day-to-day activities and in the running of the campaign. So that sort of developed, that developed itself over time. What does civility mean? It does not, civility is not passive, that's for sure. It is active. It's an active thing. It's It's how we are. It's how we operate. And it's being willing to listen to other people, take them where they're at, and then talk about the changes we all want to see. So that was that was what I did. And, and one of the reasons we're doing the podcast is to, to go a little deeper on that and how that worked. And even though I lost the race, I know that we made a big difference, that we really accomplished that. Uh, we ran this campaign with civility. We did not run negative ads. We did it different. And yeah. no. it was uh, exciting. It's, it, I, I think you know, what you're saying is so true. It's not passive. You have to wake up and choose it. Um, And it's challenging. Uh, And I imagine that you were challenged many, many times throughout the campaign to abandon that pledge. And sometimes it's hard. I can remember I was knocking doors for you one day and I talked to two guys. One was sitting on a riding lawnmower in his driveway and the other was like drinking a beer next to him. And, uh, boy, did they give me a hard time. They weren't on the list, right? So, But they're outside. I'm going to talk to them. They're outside. And, well, there was a reason they weren't on my list because they were, you know, hardcore conservatives. And, um, you know, by it, 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 I, I tried my best to channel my inner Luann Bird and not just <laughs> not just yell at them and tell them, tell them off. And, you know, talked about your... Uh, civility pledge and you know by the end of the conversation they they were you know i don't think they voted for you i don't know they voted at all but they they agreed that some of the biggest things that they were complaining about were not ideological the driveway it it was like a really big bump to get into their driveway and they were mad at the city or the village or whatever well come on that's not a democratic i thing or Republicans or Democrats, right? You can just get stuff done that helps people. And, you know, by the time I scurried away from the driveway, we were, you know, at least shook hands and, but you gotta, you gotta, you gotta actively do that. You know, you, you, you gotta lead by example. And you did that throughout the entire campaign um, in a way that, that very, very few people have done. I did. And the fun part was watching people like you jump on that bandwagon. Um, They told me, people told me, you can't run on a civility campaign. That's what they said. And I'd say, okay. And then I would run on a civility campaign because that's what people want. That's how we're going to, I just knew that's how we're going to fix a broken political system. That's how we're going to bring hope to people is to talk about, I had two things going for me that I really believe that and that I act that way and that I had to change. It wasn't about okay, now I've got this all figured out and I've had it figured out. I didn't have it figured out. All of a sudden I changed and I became, I decided to tuck away all my anger and my frustration and I wanted to become part of the solution and not be part of the problem, which meant then I cannot talk the way we talk about politics or the party or even the issues. And I wasn't going to be a talking point. And, you know, people tried to coach me that you have to talk about, quote, middle-class families. And I have great respect for middle-class families. I have great respect though for everybody not just a segment 
And that is just how I am. So I couldn't talk that way, but I could definitely talk about people who work and people who are struggling and what we can do to fix that. And that the majority of people agree with that. So why aren't we fixing it? What can we do to fix it? It's not like we really have these big divisions when you set aside the labels. And so as I started knocking on doors, I realized that's what was happening. The guy, it reminds me of a story when, of a guy on a lawnmower too. There were three people standing by the road as I was walking down the road. And this is early in the campaign because at this point, I don't know how it's going to go. But early in the campaign, they're out there. I start talking to them and I was going to hand them my flyer. And they're like, no, we're for, what was it, Bob Don? Or they were, might have been for Bob Don. We're Republicans. We're Republicans. And, and they're, I'm like, oh, okay. So, you know, tell, tell me, what is it? You know, we started talking. I said, well, I got in this race because it's broken. And, you know, I think we need to change things. I'm telling you, that opens the door. People would talk to me. And so by the time I was done talking to these guys, well, then it turned out one of them was a veteran. I think he might have had a veteran hat on. And I'm like, well, my husband's a veteran. And then I started telling, you know, he was paralyzed and blah, blah, blah. And we got to talking about that. And pretty soon we we were friends and the labels dropped off. And they took my flyer before I, I walked away. So it was amazing. So a little while later, then I had to go home and take care of Phil. It was a little early in the campaign. And then I went back out on those doors and I was looking for a door on my list that was in that same road. And there's one of the guys cutting his grass. And as I go to park, he's waving at me. (laughs) It was like, this is so amazing. This is really fun. So I parked my car and then I'm looking at the list and I'm totally lost, which happens a lot with those lists and figuring out anyway. And he comes over to, he says, do you need some help? He turns off his lawnmower and I go, yeah, I do. (laughs) Where's this house? I go over. I end up like 15 minutes later, finally leaving there because it turned out his wife was struggling with mobility issues, had had a stroke, was in a wheelchair too. And then we really got to talking about some of that and the challenges we both faced as caregivers. And it was just the most heartwarming thing by the time I left there. And by the way, I think he might have had a car sign on his on his lawn or something. And I said, well, or, or Donovan, I said, when he loses, then you can vote for me, right? I would say <laughs> things like that, you know, to make people laugh. And it was just the coolest thing to realize. I started to see the power in the way I was running. I started to see that it wasn't about getting votes, but it was about building trust. It was about building relationships. It was about being who I am sharing my story, and then saying, why don't you join me? Why don't we all be civil? You have a chance here. Because they would say, I don't know how you change it. And I'd say, well, this is how. You start by being civil. I'm being civil. I'm not running a negative campaign. I never, hardly ever talked about my opponent at the doors. I hardly ever did. So that's what I started to experience on the campaign trail. And then you guys would come out and knock doors for me. And then I had this choose civility shirt. And then they had to be civil. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I still have mine. I still have mine. I, I know people uh, would struggle. <laughs> I try to, I, I will do better uh, to remind myself, you know, the, the things in Madison are, um, you know, there's, it's a little better this session, but, you know, we could all use some civility lessons and, and inspiration. Uh, Got to keep it going. Your point about it being, it's not passive. It's not something you pledge and then walk away from. It's not a, issue or an ideology or a yes or no vote it's an active way of uh, approaching people and problem solving um no it was i you you know you did build over the course of the spring summer and fall a community and um it it, in a way that i i again was really unique and and organic 
it evolved. It wasn't the plan, or at least it wasn't a plan that I think anybody, you know, it wasn't, it was in your brain or in your heart, maybe Luann, but it wasn't the product of a campaign consultant or some, you know, person out there that says, this is how you're going to win an election. It was just you being you and who you are and people gravitating towards that. That's right. It was a popular message. And I think, well, I know we brought people in that don't normally get involved. More people knocked on doors. It was their first time ever because they wanted what we were doing and they agreed with it. And they were willing to go to that greater lengths out of their own comfort zone to change things. Cause that's, that's what, I guess that brings you, you that feeling of hope. I think hope comes from action. It comes from the belief that we can change things and then you take some action and then you feel hopeful. People on my campaign were were excited, motivated, and willing to go that little extra mile for me to win. And I loved that part. So speaking of extra mile, so then, so then, so the first thing you got to do is get your signatures in. And I did that. And and I had, uh, well, I've done this before. I just stood in front of the grocery store. I knocked on doors and I had a bunch of people out getting signatures. And so by Friday, we had enough to take down there. The kids were off school on Friday. So I made sure I took my little grandsons with me so they could see the capital. I'm like, this is, one of them wasn't sure what grandma was doing or why. So I said, well, I'll show you. <laughs> so I took them with me. We turned in the signatures and I, we got to tour the Capitol and they wanted to tour the mu- the um, military museum because of Phil's, um, he's a Vietnam vet. Talk about cool grandsons who has, you know, that's another whole story, but I did at one point put together a book for Phil with all of his Vietnam pictures and his um, uh, letters that he wrote home. So the boys each have their own book about grandpa. It's called Grandpa's Story and they know all about war and about the Vietnam war. So they, that was a fun day. You know, we went down and we did that. Then, you know, you've got to open your bank account. <laughs> you got to get your committee yeah, yeah. form. You got to get a get website a, and social website media and, and social literature media. to hand out, right. yard signs. And okay, so, oh. okay, folks, you got to know this. I wasn't the first person they asked to run. <laughs> I wasn't the first. There were several people that they reached out to. Um, I don't think, Evan, you were aware that I had moved here. I think you know, that I was in the district at that point. So they had asked a guy named Chris Porterfield, who is a musician to run because he got involved in the school board race that went not the way he wanted it to go. So here's this musician. He's a musician. He has a five-year-old, lives in my district, very disgruntled about the state of politics. So he ended up, I don't know how we got in touch, but we got in touch and we, he was on my little kitchen cabinet, they call it. So I called Quinn, who's a former school board member. I had Chris Porterfield and my two grandma friends. So how do you get grandma friends? Why do I call them that? We all babysit our grandchildren and all three of us would drop off kids in Wauwatosa, our grandkids, and pick them up. We've been doing it for years. We became friends. You know, we started to have coffee every week. We drop the kids off and have coffee. They've just been my friends and we're very much politically involved. I know during COVID we had a little protest and we sat out in front on Grandma Joanne's lawn with a little sign. I remember doing our own way of safely doing something, you know. So they they were on my little committee. And then um so we got that form. Chris Porterfield put together all of the graphics you see behind me. I had no idea what a talent he was. And he put together the social media, set all of that up. 
most of that was volunteer people in the very beginning of my campaign. And it stuck. I mean, within so within two weeks, we had our logo, we had all the social media set up, we had our signatures in, and and we just started meeting every week to figure out how we were going to do things. So after, and it was going pretty well, right, Evan, in the very beginning. And then Evan was my like one-on-one coach and he would meet with me and the campaign manager. And we um, uh, did, did a lot of work together. But then about a month into it, Chris Porterfield says to me, you know, Lou, he said, by the way, he was really getting hopeful about change and the belief that we could change things. So he started thinking about maybe we could do a concert for you called Bird Songs. And uh, he said, I think there's more that I can do for you. He just felt like he could do something. So he had this idea. And so he was going to pull a bunch of his musician friends together to have a bonfire at his house and talk about doing concerts. So that's how the idea of Bird Songs got started. So I kind of invited myself to that meeting. And I'm so Glad, glad that I did. It was like 830 at night and I, I was done campaigning. I said, can I come over? <laughs> That's how I do things sometimes. Do you mind if I come? I want and So there I'm sitting around this bonfire and all these musicians are there and they're so depressed about the state of politics and they're so down about it. I'll just never forget that moment. And then they got to know me and my story and how I can create change and we can create change. We can change this. And from that moment on, then it didn't become a concert. It became a series of concerts with all of these musicians donating their time to do not fundraisers, but to do concerts and sort of meet and greets in people's backyards. And Evan. (laughs) It was a really cool, organic way of meeting people like going door to door, but but on different terms, a way to Mm -hmm. invite people into the campaign without being a stuffy fundraiser with uh, a you know cheese platter and white wine you know like you could come and just unfold your chair and hang out and listen to music and and you know uh, meet your neighbors and I, I thought it was a really effective uh, organizing strategy and brought a lot of people into the fold of your campaign um, that otherwise probably wouldn't have been if that was just a little in, in you know, I'm not denigrating fundraising and all of those things. Those are things that you, you know you got to do to get your campaign going, and and you know it, it takes resources to communicate who you are and what you believe in and get votes. But it takes people too, and that Bird Songs was just such a cool people organizing. Uh, a stra- it wasn't even a strategy; it just happened. It wasn't it evolution of your campaign. It was, and it and and it culminated towards the end in the fall with a real big event uh at the cooperage um and that was one of the cooler political experiences in my life i mean it wasn't mostly wasn't political really uh and but it was i can remember very vividly being in the audience watching the musicians play and you know talk about the importance of their involvement and the words they were singing and the audience that was so into it. And it was, it was so cool. It was really unique. uh, And I'm grateful that I got to be a part of the experience. Oh, me too. So here's how this all impacted me as a candidate. Number one, Chris and I were able to tell stories about the campaign trail. We were able to process together what we were seeing and the impact we were having on people's lives. And that was, 
inspiring to every musician. What I realized is at the end of the concerts, the musicians were changed. And in fact, one of them, I ended up working, he, he's a carpenter too. And he ended up coming over to the house to help me with something. And he goes, you know, we need this everywhere. <laughs> we need to do this everywhere. I'm like, that is, that's a good idea. You know, Derek, that's a good idea. Um, so that was a powerful way to continue to build relationships, tell stories, give people ideas on how you can get involved and, and inspire pe more people to take action. So it was less about, it was never billed as really fundraising. It was just a concert to come and come and, you know, let's talk and let's, you know, listen to music, like you said. So then the Cooperage idea comes up and I had nothing to do with that. So uh, I did. I had nothing to do. Uh, yeah, I was, know. I know. I was. That was a cool event to plan. I've been a part of lots of host committees or planning committees for different political events, but that one was really cool to watch. Yes. So you mentioned the uh, musicians getting involved and changing, but there were also a number of people behind the scenes that do, you know, concert planning and music mu booking and hospitality, front of house, back of house. And so yeah. I was a part of all these meetings. Who's going to, what are the speakers like and who's got the sound? And it was all stuff I had no, I mean, I, I have no idea how any of that works, but your campaign drew people willing to volunteer their professional time mm -hmm. for something like this. And it was, mm -hmm. it, you know, <laughs> it was a concert. It was real. It was, it was professional. It was done, you know, it, it, just like it it, 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 to a degree that I have not seen in a race, especially in a local, you know, smaller uh, district, right? You think maybe right. a United States Senator could have a band like that, but no, you brought them out. Well, you did that. It together. I, I, like I said, I had nothing to do with it. It was Chris Porterfield and that little group of people that planned it. But I will tell you this, they said, Evan says to me, you know, you got to get the unions on board. And he gives me a list of unions. And this was going to now become our signature campaign fundraising event. It really was. It was not billed as a fundraiser, but it was a fundraising event because we wanted to get all these sponsors. And so before you know it, you know, we're at like at least 20, maybe yeah, 25 different. by the time we were done. Different sponsors of the event and people just jumped on board. And the, the cool part, the other cool part about bird songs is when I knocked on doors and people said, well, how are you going to change things? How are you going to get things changed? You know? We got to get more young people involved. And I and actually, even if they didn't say that, I would say, well, let me tell you how you change things here. I'm getting young people involved and they're doing these bird songs concerts. And when I would go to the doors almost all the time, I had a little flyer about a concert in their neighborhood. You can come to this. These these young people are involved. They're sick of it. They want change and they're donating their time and their talent to, you know, to my campaign so that I can get elected and we can change things. You and me, not just me. It wasn't me, just the candidate. I gave people at the doors the total responsibility of changing things because they're the voters. They're the reason I'm doing this. And that was another cool part about running is it was not about me. I had a great story to tell and I have a great vision for where I think things can go. But more importantly, it was the people at the doors starting to believe that they could change things. And I was hoping to get them involved for that reason. And it worked. And and Luann, you bring up a really good point, and, and especially in, in communities, you, you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, Hales Corners, a part of Greendale, a part of Greenfield, a part of the city of Milwaukee, um, places that, you know, only a few years ago were voting much heavier for Republican candidates. And in years past, you know, you kind of talked over the 
recruitment process. And, you know, I've been a part of helping unearth and find candidates and support them. Um, previously, in years past, we couldn't even find a Democratic candidate to run in the 84th. And, and the lines changed and the, that, that had a, a change on the potential outcome. And candidates have run and they've run great campaigns and they've made progress. But it was always very, very, very difficult because I think of what you're just highlighting, which is there was um, a sense that it was not going to be possible. And well, when it's it hopeless, it's really hard to get people it, to, it to engage. Well, I wasn't running for the party. I was running for the people. And right. I was running right. for the people because I believe the Democrats right now are the party to vote for because I see the Republicans dismantling democracy by taking away voting rights and women's rights and gerrymandering the line so that they win and taking away the attorney general's power and the governor's power during the lame duck session. These are things that are not democracy. So for that reason, we we can change that by getting a Democrat elected and, and getting more balance and giving people a choice when they go to the polls where the lines are not so gerrymandered so that that why that's why that was important but i do want to point out i didn't run against somebody i was running to change something and that became very clear and at the end of the cooperage concert i didn't even think about this but i really did no talking until the very end um and actually there wasn't talking it was just all songs about hope and inspiration and at the very end i got up there and i did my little spiel you know that you do i can't even remember what i said um but by the way this is all on my website if people want to go see the cool musicians and the great music we did record it um so at dan shaper from bird on a wire recombobulation area thank you dan for doing this he said to me lou you never once mentioned Bob Donovan up there. And it occurred to me that I hadn't, and I don't, I didn't have to talk about my opponent because I wasn't about that. I was about you. I was there to talk about you, not him and you and what you could do to change and what I could do for you because doggone, I got all them schools, wheelchair accessible, right? I got sewer in the neighborhood. I mean, I can get this done for you. That's, that was the hope I was trying to give people, but I do want to tell you this quick before we close here. Because uh, we only have a couple of minutes. Um, I want to tell you about yesterday, Evan. There is power in losing. Nobody, you never hear that. But I can tell you there's power in losing. First of all, I got 49% and I wear that right on my shoulder. So I am working with constituents in our district. And we actually called up Bob Donovan and met with him about some gun control legislation with a trauma surgeon and her friends. Because we want to save some lives in Milwaukee. And there's some really easy, low-hanging fruit bills that we would like Bob Donovan to jump on and get passed. So I'm working with him on that. Um, and if he and then a five-year-old gets killed in Milwaukee, and I'm like, Bob, now come on. This law, one of these gun safety laws, would have saved that child's life. So I'm I, there's political power in doing that. And then I want you to know yesterday, I so I go out to breakfast yesterday and a guy comes up to me. And then I'm going to go knock doors, which I'm knocking doors all day long now for Janet Protasewicz to get her elected because the Supreme Court race makes a big difference to democracy, too. So losing gave me the time and the network that I can go out and get to my people now to vote for Janet. And we can talk about change again in a very powerful way. So then I'm at breakfast and some guy sees me, he comes up and he goes, hi, Luann. And he's asking me what, you know, what, um, he's asked me what he, he said, and I've got my Janet button and he says, yeah, do you think I should give her money? I'm like, yes, you should. <laughs> so that was breakfast, right? Then I go knock on doors uh, in the morning. And then in the afternoon, I'm out with Chris Porterfield and we're knocking on 
Oh, in between there, though, I go to Costco. And what do I run into at Costco? I run into my Yank, who was at my one of my events, right? My Yank was telling me the story of how he's organizing chefs. He's going to start a business that maybe could could feed better food to kids in schools. Talk about hope and change. So he's like, yeah, we can change things. And this is what I'm going to work on right now. Then I run into this really cool family. The name escapes me. But both parents are deaf. They cannot hear. I'm, I met them at the doors. I knocked on their door. We could figure out how to communicate. They have two young children that can hear, but the parents cannot hear. And it was just a wonderful, they wanted a picture for my Facebook page. I posted it. So here I run into this. When I left the door, I heard a beep, like a smoke detector beep. And I was, I went home. It was late at night that night. And I'm thinking that doesn't sound right. And if it's a smoke detector and they can't hear, I'm going back. So the next morning I went back to that door and sure enough, the smoke detector wasn't working right. And so I ended up going, staying there and we would write our little notes to communicate and figure it out. And we got that smoke detector working. So here I run into those people yesterday and I'm hugging them and I'm telling them I'm working for Janet and I'm bringing people hope at the doors because I say we're doing podcasts and this is, this is where even though I lost 49%, if, you know, things, I'm going to still try and get things done for us. And if we don't, we're, you know, we're running again anyway. So 49%. That just gives you an example of what I'm out doing. And I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. Connecting and with people. I think we're running low on time here. So I, I just would close by saying, you know, you've inspired a lot of people. Um, if anybody's listening and thinks the smoke detector is just a little thing, it's, it's not, it's an, it's a, it's a, it's a small example of a really big thing, which is, you know, your commitment to helping people. And how do you restore faith and civility? You just, you do the you do the thing that is right, which is you go back and make sure they're okay, and you plug in and help where you can, and and that inspires people. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you to all you listeners out there too. I hope that uh, together we can continue to create the change we want to see. So thank you. Thank you for having me.